Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to the Risen Nation Church podcast. I pray that this message today impact your life and above all, draw you into a deeper encounter with Jesus. So I kind of have two sermons kind of smushed into one um, because I feel like there's just been two things burning on my heart. One, I feel like God is doing a new thing and it's funny when the Lord does a new thing, it's almost like he brings us back to the old things. It's like he starts to move and then he kind of brings us back to like just the basics. So I, I feel like I have two things in my heart. I'm going to share them both and we're going to somehow sandwich them together and it will make sense. But at the end, I want to pray for us because, man, I just want us to see how good God is and how near he is and how accepted we are in the beloved. And I, I think we don't see the measure we've been accepted. And so can you guys turn with me? Yeah, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. And we're going to go. And really what I want to talk about today is um, I want to talk about new bowls. And it will make sense in a minute. And I want to talk about new bowls and how the bowl, I think, in this season is the revelation of our sonship. And that, that includes you ladies. Uh, the kingdom's beautiful. I can be a bride. You can be sons. But how, do you know, how many of you know it's not so much about the actual being a male. It's about position in the Lord. So when we say son, son, when it says you are a co-heir with Christ, it's not about, you know, if you're a boy or girl, it's about your sonship. It's about your position in the Lord. So in that culture, if you're the firstborn son, it kind of comes with some rights, some privilege, some authority, some access. And the Lord is saying, all of you are, are your first, your firstborn sons. Yeah. And man, how much scripture gets twisted and just gets, oh, it's so whack, man. Because we twist so many scriptures because we take natural things and we try to apply it to spiritual realities. When in, when in truth, it should be spiritual realities applied to natural things. Does that make sense? So we, we take the natural and we try to apply it to something supernatural instead of the supernatural overtaking that which is natural. You guys understand? So we read like um, Ephesians and there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. And we'll twist that to make that about something surface like your gender. And it has nothing to do with your gender. It's spirit, spirit, spiritual. What's Paul saying? That should be the most unifying verse or one of them in the Bible. And yet it gets twisted because we put a natural thing on it. When it's spirit, what's, what's Paul really saying? Hey, in Jesus, there's no race. There's no ranking. There's no women aren't less than men. Paul is kind of shattering the lines and he's saying, hey, whether you're rich or you're poor, it doesn't matter. We're all in Christ. We're all of the same. And that should be the message of it, but it gets turned into race and it gets turned into this and it gets turned into that. And I think God is... In this, in this hour, he's kind of dismantling these things. And I think what you're going to see, and I think this is what we're experiencing in a little measure. And just so you know, Franklin and Chicago, that's just the beginning. So just, just buckle up. Let's lock in. DFW, let's lock in. And let's go after the glory because I'm telling you, there will be pockets of revival that break out throughout the nations. And what it's going to be is people that worship him in spirit and in truth. And it's going to be a people that are so lost in the glory, yet so grounded in the word that, that watch this, religion cannot touch them. Nothing can touch them because the spirit can't get them. There's no, there's no spirit, whatever, that can attach themselves, but there's no wind of confusion and weird doctrine. They're going to be an unmovable people. And I think what will happen is that'll become the norm in Christianity. It should be, but it's not. So that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit. Go to 2 Kings. 
It's the story of Elisha. Dude, I struggle with that name. Elijah and Elisha. Do you ever just, I don't know, so then maybe our next boy, I'll, I'll name him Elisha. She said, nah, she's ready for a girl. She wants a girl. Okay, so I'm going to kind of paraphrase the story, and then we'll, I want to hit the actual scripture that I want to focus on. So Elisha has just received the double portion of the Lord. Do you guys know that story? Have you read that story of Elijah? So Elijah gets caught up in a whirlwind. Imagine that. Sorry, my page is all messed up. He gets caught up in a whirlwind. And then the mantle falls, so to speak, and Elisha picks it up. And I want you guys to see something, okay? Elijah does something very prophetic because he's a prophet. And he does something very prophetic and very similar to Moses. If you notice, if you look where he is, he's, he's facing, he crosses the Jordan. They cross over. He tells Elijah, hey, man, I'm, I'm about to go. If you see my mantle, you pick it up, you'll receive the double portion. You'll get what you asked for. And Elijah is facing the Jordan the same direction that Moses would have faced it, right? But like Moses, he doesn't cross back over. He doesn't get to cross over. And so Elijah's doing something very prophetic. He gets caught up, right? The mantle falls. Elisha picks it up. He strikes the Jordan, kind of like Joshua, and then he crosses over the Jordan into promise. And how many of you know that as sons and daughters, as followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus tore the veil, so to speak, the Jordan, and he made a way for us to cross over. And a lot of times as Christians, we should be like Elisha or Joshua and cross over, but we rather live in the wilderness, and so Elisha crosses the river and the first city he gets to is Jericho, kind of like Joshua. And I want you to see this right here. This is verse 19. So the sons of the prophets, which is key, which means those who kind of are discerning of the spirit, they see Elisha, they go, hey, this guy's got Elijah's thing. This is great. We should do what he's doing, you know? And they come up to him, the men of Jericho, and this is what they're going to say. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice the situation of this city, that it is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. And can I tell you guys something? I read this verse earlier this week, and it so plucked my heart. Guys, look at and I think in a way, this could, you could very much apply this to the church. You could apply this to our hearts. Look at this. He says, look, the city is pleasant. Can't you see? The church looks great. The building's great. The sound is awesome. It's packed. Our programs are popping. But look, at, it looks pleasant, but really the water is bad. So it looks good, but the source, the heart, the root is not good. And Elijah's going to say something, and it's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit, is he's going to say, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Guys, he sees that a city is barren. He sees that a city, it's pleasant, but at the heart of it, it's no good. It looks right, but at the heart, it's no good. And he's going to say, bring me a new bowl. And I want to say this. I, I feel like, in a way, this is a picture of what the Lord is saying to us. Of The Lord is saying, bring me a new bowl. And I think what that really speaks to us is, bring me a new posture. It's time to do a new thing. It's time to change it up. And I, I want to hit this, we're going to hit this so hard because this is going to flow into what I want to talk about the end, which is really sonship and adoption. And, and I want you to see that I think a, a lot of what the new bull is going to be is a revelation of our identity in him. 
that actually we're worthy to be the bull, so to speak. And you're going to see this in a sec. But he says, bring me a new bull and put salt in it. I think salt is representative of the presence. That's why we're the salt of the earth. It's, it's representative of God's presence in a people. And so he's going to say, bring me a new bull. It's time to do a new thing. And new implies it's untouched. It's never been used. There's no residue of yesterday. It's a new thing. How many of you know when we're in Christ, we're a new creation, right? So guys, you are the bull. That's the moral of this story. This is the, that's an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality, which is you are the bull. Because in Revelation, you're gonna see that the angels that surround the throne have golden bowls full of incense. And guys, the incense is the prayers, which also means worship of the saints. And so guys, we are the bowl. We are the vessel that carries new water. And so Elijah's going, listen, the town is pleasant, but the source is, is it's not good. And what he's dealing with is, it's a picture of the heart because how many of you know it says out of the heart flows the issues of life? Out of your belly or your heart will flow rivers of living water. And so whether you're alive or you're barren is based on your heart. It's actually not your situations. Because I'll tell you, situations always change. Things always change. I, I, I hate to break it to you, but I, your life situation may never be perfect. But if the heart is good, if the source is good, watch this. It doesn't matter what's happening. Your life is always great. I mean, really, I, when I read the word, I'm like, man, I don't know if Jesus necessarily is focused so much on my 401k as he is on my heart. How many of you guys know John 6, the story, right? Jesus multiplies the food. The townspeople love it. They want to make him king. Jesus hides himself. There's a lesson there. Jesus chooses to hide himself. You imagine if people wanted to make you king? Most of us, I think, would be like, dude, yeah, let's do this. I could rule this place better than Caesar. I got this. President who? Like, put me in charge. You ever hear people like that? Put me in charge, dude. Like, if I was in charge, let me tell you, this place would be great. We do that with sports. Bro, I'd score 30 on LeBron, dude. What's LeBron doing? What's wrong with this guy? You know, and we're so critical. It's so easy to look at them and be like, oh, dude, if I was in the game. Well, you're not in the game. So, <laughs> and you probably will never be in the game unless you're, I don't know, some five-star athlete. And I'm, you know, maybe, maybe if you're here, if you're here let's go. But the reality is that you're probably not going to be in the game. And so Jesus has a chance to take authority, hides himself, and then they follow him. And, and I'm not going to tell you the whole story. I'm going to kind of quote it. But they follow him around and they're essentially like, hey, Jesus, where'd you go? And he's like, you didn't come to me. For me, you came for the bread. And they're like, well, who are you? And he's like, I'm the bread. And when Jesus says, I'm the bread, Right there, he's making a shift. And what Jesus is identifying himself as is, hey, I'm the source. I, I'm, I'm what makes your life go. I, I'm, I'm what's going to feed you. I'm what's going to keep you. I'm what's going to change you. And guess what? You don't want the bread because you'll be hungry again. What you want is me because if you come to me, you'll be satisfied. You'll be satisfied. I think God is less after hitting our needs, though he will, because he's a faithful father. He'll take care of our needs, but I think God's after our satisfaction, our contentment. Guys, money, finances, riches, all the things that we are told is a good and prosperous life will only get you so far. You can only make so much money. You can only have so many things, 
so much stuff until you realize that the stuff is not going to satisfy the heart. And no matter how much you make or earn or do or strive or go, it cannot satisfy the heart. So Jesus is going, guys, I'm the bread. And they're still like, well, give us a sign. You know, Moses gave the Israelites bread. They're still talking about bread. They can't get past the bread. And Jesus is like, guys, Moses didn't give you bread. My father gave you bread, first of all. <laughs> Moses did not give you the bread. My, I gave you the bread. And he's doubling down. I am the bread. And they're not getting it. And they're like, did, you know what? And it says their hearts turn from him. Forget this guy, man. Ah, oh, this Jesus, who's he thinking? Aren't you Joseph's son? You notice the minute they don't get what they want, dishonor. Their heart turns. Uh, and, I, and I, I've seen this in the Christian life, how many people turn from the Lord when they don't get what they want. Because it was never about him, it was about the bread. So it was never about, I want you, I want, it was, what can you give me? I mean, even how we've taught salvation is, Come to me and I'll give you entrance into this super cool place. Instead of come to me, hey, you're going to die, but you're going to resurrect in me. And guess what? When you come alive in me, you won't, even, you won't even care. I'll tell you this. If I get a mansion in heaven, it will be abandoned because I will be at the feet of Jesus. I don't care what my house looks like in heaven. You guys understand the streets of gold. I really don't care. Where's Jesus? And guys, just so you know, in heaven, if you notice in Revelation, they're surrounding Jesus. They're surrounding the Lord. And guys, you have to begin, and this is where I think the shift is coming. This is one of those new bulls, right? One of the new things we're going to begin to see is it's not about getting to a destination, but it's about knowing him. And, and guys, this is eternal life. I think eternal life is a walk hand in hand with our bridegroom going from glory to glory, from a greater knowing to a greater knowing until everything in this world just fades. I do. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a, you go from one location and then you enter a different location. I think it's you walk past the veil and your eyes slowly begin to open to what's around you and you go, oh my gosh, I was here the whole time. And I don't want to die, you know, an old man and go, oh, I was here the whole time. I want it now. I want what's available now. The Bible is very clear. It's a now thing. It's a now. It's now. And so that's what Jesus is offering them. So their hearts turn. They're like, this guy. I want nothing. Who's this guy? And immediately he goes from, let's make him king to, this is Joseph's son. And so that's what happens is the minute we don't get what we want, Jesus becomes common. Oh, oh yeah, it's just Jesus, you know. I go to church because that's what my granddad did and, it's a very Texas thing. So my, my pa did and my grandpa. and Yeah, Southern people always give their grandparents funny nicknames. Grandpa's always like grandpappy or papa or mima. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but I, but it's, it's sweet. So, but that's what it becomes, right? It becomes religion because our hearts turn and we turn against Jesus and we're like, that's not for me. And so Jesus is going to double down even more. And he's going to go, actually, you should eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they go, this guy's got a devil. Get out of here. And they turn from him. And he goes from 15,000 to 12. And guess what? Jesus is the best leader. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he's provoking Peter. And he's going, you guys going to leave me too? And I pray like Peter, we would be a people that say, where are we going to go? You got the words of life, man. Where are we going to go? And so all that to say, take it back to Elisha. He's looking and he's, they're saying, listen, the town's great. It all looks good. We're, we're prospering. Life is good, but the water's bad. 
the heart is wrong. It's like, it's like the people of Israel with Jesus, they just want the bread. And Jesus is like, no, the heart. You want the bread, but I want to give you, I'm after your heart. Because see guys, if the heart changes, everything changes. When you get born again, and this is what I love, when you get born again, it's not like your natural circumstance all of a sudden shift. Like, it's not like you wake up the next day and like everyone just falls on their face and forgives you and, and, and everything just works out. No, what happens is, is you wake up the next day and you are changed. You, something's different about you. You wake up different. That's what being born again is. You, you are changed. Something in here. And so we see that in heaven, the bowls are the vessels that carry the worship and the praise. And it says that they were full of incense. So guys, you have to understand when we're born again, we are a new bowl, but we have to fill our bowl. It's our prayer, our worship that fills the bowls. But guys, watch this. In Revelation 8, there's a censer full of the same thing, the prayer and the worship of the saints. If you guys, we've taught this a lot of resonation, right? The angel pours out the censer on the altar. The prayer, the worship goes up before God. The angel scoops fire off the same altar and he hurls it at the earth. That's a gnarly picture, but can I tell you, don't think, you know, those like uh, those disaster movies. This is not like Deep Impact or Armageddon, okay? He doesn't send big hurling coals and is gonna take people out. No, the, the burning coals are people. It's the anointing, it's his spirit. He, the praises of his people go up, pours out in a bowl on the altar. He gets the same bowl, scoops up the fire and responds to the earth. So what happens is our prayer and our worship goes up. See guys, when we worship, we pour ourselves out that God may pour himself in. Guys, worship is the surrender and the yielding to the Lord. It's the casting of our crowns. It's the pouring out of ourself. So guys, when we get in an environment and we're singing songs and we're saying, God, I need you more. What we're saying, if our view is correct, is God, I'm pouring out everything I've had, everything that I am, I'm pouring it at your feet, expecting that you will fill me with fire. And then God fills you and he sends you to the earth. And so guys, Elisha goes, we need a new bowl. And I think for some of you, we need a new bowl. And of course, I'm speaking identity and new creation, but guys, I wanna, because uh, this is what God's been ministering to me on. Guys, sometimes the new bowl is just new disciplines. It's just change it up, do a new thing. Get out of the monotony and the grind and I want to, can I, I just want to like hit something between the eyes so hard. Okay. Just, we're going to crush it. We have this weird thing going on and it's not any of you guys. Okay. But we have this weird thing going on in our generation where we treat discipline as striving. We, we treat consistency and pressing in as works. It is not works to press into the Lord. It is not works to say, hey, what I am doing is not working. It's time to go in. And you got to get to the point where you say, I'm going in. Because what we do is we sit back and we go, okay, if I just sit here, because I don't want to strive, the Lord will come. And he'll just poof, magically just Make all the dreams come true. Give me all the anointing and all the things. But no, there's an asking. There's a seeking. There's a knocking. So guys, like, I mean, let's just challenge. Let's just challenge ourselves as a house, right? So prayer rooms, they're at 6 a.m. They're not cool. They're not fun. Nobody wants to be up that early. But here's the reality. No, no, but, but here's, here's the truth. Every time I go, 
Pastor William was not lying last week. Every time we go to prayer room, God speaks and he moves. And it's like he's, he changes us and he, he begins to carve us something in us. But cease. That doesn't sound fun. It requires discipline. You got to set your alarm. Lord knows I've showed up late to a couple of them and I've had to repent to Pastor Costi. But the truth is, you keep going and you keep asking and you keep seeking and you keep knocking. And what happens is, is God begins to transform you. And can I tell you, that's not works. That's not you. You're not, hey, listen, if waking up at five is hard for you, that's not you being in striving. That's not striving. That's not, uh, well, this is difficult to do, so it must not be the Lord. I must be outside of rest. No. No, 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 no. No, no, no. When you're in true biblical rest, you want the Lord. You desire the Lord. You hunger the Lord. You go after the Lord. And so, guys, sometimes the new bowl is just, it's, it's a new mindset. It's a new shift. It's not just the spiritual, I'm born again, but it's the response to it of, hey, maybe it's time to do things different. Guys, this, this can I speak to this right here too? This also has to do with relationships. Like, hey, maybe what we're doing is not working. And this is really hard, but let's just say it. Like maybe some of the people you're hanging with might not be your people. And it's amazing. You could stay in the same friend group and then feel stuck. And you're like, why am I stuck? But you're with the same people over and over and over and over. And you come to church week after week, but you never meet anyone new because you stay in your clique and your bubble. But then you're wondering why you're dying and why your water's bad. Why do I feel stuck? Why do I feel complacent? Why do I feel lonely and idle? Guys, so even there, we got to begin to think, okay, where, where do I switch up? And guys, here's the key. Elisha says, bring me a bowl with salt. Guys, we need the presence. So it's not just a new bowl. It's not just new habits, new levels of worship, new devotion. It's those things with the desire that God would fill you with this presence. It's, it's, it's not unto a better situation. It's unto God filling you. It's unto you being a bowl of incense ready to pour over. And so there comes a point in our Christian lives where we have to say, what is it that I'm going to live for? And, and see, I, I like to pick on relationships because those are so real. We base a lot of our even Christian walk on relationships. We like a church where I know a lot of people. We like churches where I'm familiar with everyone and I have my little friends and we base where we're going to go on, well, do I know anyone there? And the reason I'm picking on this is because it's so important that you do not make decisions for people. You make decisions on what is going to fill you with salt and with incense. You make decisions on what is going to usher in the presence of Jesus in my life. It has to be. So guys, we have to begin to change how we think, how we operate, how we make decisions. It's less about what is going to please the people around me and what is going to please him. Guys, even in worship, don't worry about what moves the people, what moves him. What's going to cause him to move? What is going to cause God to pour himself out? That has to be the goal. And you know what's amazing is even now we're talking about this and I can hear the thought of like, like, yeah, that's elementary. Like we know that. Well, I don't know if we know that. Do we know that? I, I'm, I'm not teasing anyone, but do we know that? Because, and I love this. So look, speaking of the heart, the word full in Revelation 5, when it says the golden bowls are full of incense, that word means to swell out. 
Come on, dude. It's all about the heart. It's about the heart. Out of the heart, oh, the mouth speaks. Come on, dude. Our praise, our worship begins here. What's in our hearts? And so the story of Elijah is a story of God wanting to cleanse the heart. Hey, your life could look pleasant. Big house, two-car garage, nice, polite kids. But in your heart, is it good? In the core of who you are, is it good or is it barren and dying? And we have to have the humility to recognize, like the sons of Jericho, of the prophets of Jericho, to recognize, hey, the town might be pleasant, but the water's wrong. And guys, in Revelation 3, how many of you know that's another city that's dealing with bad water? But the water in Revelation 3 is lukewarmness. The water in Revelation 3 is you're neither cold or hot. The water is no good. John is not speaking of Laodicea's, you know, piping issues. He's speaking of their heart. Because he says, I stand at the door of the heart. I stand at the door and I knock. It's the heart. Oh, dude, let's just read this because it's so good. The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. There's a whole thing in that too. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you would be either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Watch this. For you say, I am rich. Selijah, you say the town is pleasant. You can see the town. It's a nice little town. We're, we're doing good. Let me tell you something, guys. Can I just... If you live in America and you own a car... You know you're in the 1% of the richest people on earth? I mean, let's just, let's just go there, dude. I mean, if you make 40 a year, 40,000 a year, and you live in DFW, you are richer than 99% of the world. And we would be like, I'm barely making it. But to the rest of the world, you are thriving. So I just want to say that, Okay. Because we hear these passages and we're like, that's for the rich people, you know, that's for the richy riches up in their gated communities. No, that's for you too, okay? It's for everyone, all right? And he's going, listen, you say I am rich. You say I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire. Guys, I want you to see this. The bowls, okay? The bowls in Revelation, they're golden bowls. And then he says here, buy gold refined by fire. The bowls are golden. And I would, I would, I would challenge you with this. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn away everything until we are pure gold, until we are shining. And in order to do that, we have to have a level of humility to recognize, hey, I'm, I'm blind. Man, I'm, I'm actually naked. Uh, I'm not satisfied. I, uh, I have all the things, but I'm but I don't have peace in my home. I don't have peace in my marriage. It all looks good on the surface, but in, in, in my heart, in my heart, it's not okay. And guys, watch this. We have to recognize that, but look at the Lord. Buy gold from me, refined by fire. Let me cleanse you. Let me burn away everything. Watch that you may be rich. And purchase white garments. What does that mean? Righteousness, purity. Let me clothe you. Let me clothe you. 
Watch that. Buy white garments so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. So watch this. This is not, it is a rebuke, but hear the father's heart in this. He's like, I want to clothe you. You understand God sees their nakedness and is not like shame on you. He's going, dude, you're naked. Let me clothe you. Dude, you're poor. I want you to be rich. And anoint your eyes so that you can see. Guys, Jesus wants us to see. He wants us to see he is a good father. He's not holding something back from us. And he goes, to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Guys, he just calls them lukewarm. He says all these things and he's going, you don't understand. I'm saying these things to you because I love you. Elisha heals the water. So the rest of the story is he takes the salt and he throws it in the river. He, he cleanses the river at the source. He goes to the source. He goes to the river and he cleanses it. And it says the town is healed. I feel like God is, I feel like the Lord in a sense is peeling back the layers for some of us. And, he's, and I think we've put on a lot of garments and a lot of things and we've taken on a lot so that, we, that our lives might look pleasant. But the source in our heart, we're barren and we're dying. And I think the Lord is saying, unclothe, take all the stuff off. Embrace your nakedness. When, uh, when Raya was born, I just had a, a pretty pretty powerful encounter with the Lord. And I won't tell the whole thing, but long story short, he showed me a vision and I saw myself when I was a young man, I first gave my life to Jesus. And this is a vision, so you know. And I was naked. And I saw the Lord like clothe me with himself. He like wrapped his arms around me. Man, Ryan was maybe like two weeks old. This was recent. And I saw the Lord clothe me. And then I saw over the years, so I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now, guys. I saw over the years, other garments begin to be put on me. And every garment like had a name. And some of it was like shame. Some of it was like regret. One was like religion. One was leadership. One was uh, like playing nice with other churches. Like one was like this political thing. It was like all these garments got put on me. And then in his vision, I felt the Lord undress me again, except, you know, it was here, 2023. And the Lord undressed me again and he said, embrace your nakedness. And guys, we're in a season, we gotta, we gotta embrace our nakedness. And I know that sounds funny, but it's a spirit, you know, nobody get any ideas. It's a spiritual thing. But God is saying, embrace your nakedness, start over. Hey, it's okay to say, God stripped me down to the bolts to do it again. Do it again, Lord. It's okay to say, hey, even in ministry, I've put on these garments that God never asked me to wear. Things like, things like judgment, like, like judgment against others, things like looking at the way people appear and having a judgment about them and God is like, take that off. Dude, spiritual elitist, elitism of like, oh, I got things figured out because I can prophesy a little bit. <sighs> Take that thing off. Because man, spiritual arrogance is rampant. It's rampant. I mean, people get a little bit of gifting and they think they're God's gift. And so much of what we have is like, we have so much spectator Christianity of I mean, a lot of times, even the gifting that we have didn't even come through an encounter with the Lord. It's we saw a video online or we saw, we went to some conference for equipping. And so even what we know about the Holy Spirit, we learned 
from other people and which, listen, I understand that things are, you can receive impartation and there's a place for that. But I feel like so much of what we carry is not even our own, I should say that. But really it's just what we saw and we kind of liked it and it felt good. So we just took it on and you see copies of copies of copies of copies, but no weight, no weight, no weight. So people are trying to cast out devils because that's what they saw the dude do online, but you're not called to that. And so we, we put on spiritual language to mask our judgment, really. We, 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 we take a critical spirit and we mask it as a prophetic one to shoot at people because they look different than me, right? And truthfully, the Holy Spirit didn't teach you that. Truthfully, you saw someone else do that and you go, oh, well, that makes sense. They're a prophet. So they, they must know something I don't. So I'm gonna start doing that. And I think God is just like, get me a new bowl. Can I just say that? Like, I think God is like, fold it up, shut it down. I'm crumpling it. This is what's happening. And throw it in the trash. Like, we need a new bowl. And the new bowl is going to be, hey, worship and prayer. It's undefeated. Hey, the Holy Spirit needs to baptize you. And guess what? When he does, humility and fear of the Lord are going to come. We need people to operate in gifting from the place of love, not expertise. Man, I've seen it. Like, we don't even, we don't even connect with people. It's like someone's sharing their heart and we don't even care. We're just like, how can I snipe them with my gift? And the person doesn't need your gift. They need you to hear their heart. Like, and, and this is, this should be like, Basics, we should, all, we should get this. We should get this as a house. We should be walking in this in excellence. And guys, let the Lord lead you. Let the Lord guide you. So we, we need a new bowl. So I always like to say, how do, you, how do you get a new bowl? Let's start there. So turn with me to Ephesians 1. Now we're gonna, we're gonna hit some identity very hard. This is what I wanna just get to. And then we, are, we might just jump off here to see what the Lord wants to do. Turn to Ephesians. Of course, I'm like taking forever to get there. This is a passage we've probably heard a lot, but I want to read it again and I want to read it with, let's read it with fresh eyes, okay? And I want to set something up about the culture of Ephesus, a little church history culture, Okay. Ephesus had a practice. How many of you guys know Ephesus is the church where Paul went? He found 12 men who had not even received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just the baptism of John, of repentance. They get baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in two years, two years, the whole, the whole, all of Asia, hears the gospel in two years. Oh my goodness. Do you understand the, the measure of glory that would have been present, but also the measure of obedience, the going, the sending, that must have been just outrageous. God, do it again. Yeah. As there are some among us, including Pastor William, that has been sent. Dude, this is like, you know what I'm learning as we're going through this whole like branching out thing? The more it's like the Bible, then I like realized, dude, it, it, it took me a minute. I was like, wait, like things are good. Why would you, Lord, why, why would we do that? Because literally I was raised with like, that's not what you do. Like you, you, you plant somewhere, you make it giant and huge and successful. And you kind of like build your brand and then you just get old and you retire. And then hopefully your son if he wants anything to do with church still, or someone else takes it, right? So then I'm like, 
man, this is so like, so it's going against everything I've been raised with, yet I'm like, it's the Bible. So after two years, Paul says, boys, I got to go. All of Asia, got to go. He pieces out, but he writes this letter. And I want you guys to see something about the culture of Ephesus and why he's going to write what he's writing. Ephesus had a practice in their day when it came to children, which it was not only law, but it was like, it was, it was, let's say this, it was like allowed in their culture. It was like a cultural norm for them that if they had a child and they felt like the child wasn't up to standard, wasn't pretty enough, didn't look healthy enough, wasn't what they wanted, they could abandon the child. And they had the right to do that. And culturally, that was considered normal. You could just, ah, it's not for me. And just you just would abandon the kid. And that was a cultural norm. So you have to understand, from the time they're born, these are a people that are wired to strive. Because they're having to earn acceptance from day one. From day one, they're judged just right there. And parents could decide, I want them, I don't want them. And so Paul is going to write to the church of Ephesus, a church that has grown up in a culture built on works. From day one, and this is what he's going to say. Oh my goodness. Verse three. So I want you to have this in your mind, okay? Striving from day one. Because they're literally fighting for their life. They have to be acceptable to essentially be kept wild. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Guys, listen to the culture he's writing to. And he's saying, listen, it does not matter what mom and dad said because in him, you were chosen. Before the foundation of the world, you were not your parents' decision. You were God's decision. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Listen, God's will before he ever created the earth was that you'd be able to stand before him without blemish in love. That's the goal. That's God's goal. That's the motivation. Because before the foundation of the world, so before he ever created like a giraffe, he was like, I want them to stand before me in love. Blameless. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Guys, think about the culture. Think about the culture he's speaking to. Hey, 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 your parents might have said no, but I'm saying yes. Come on. Someone might have rejected you, but I'm not. Come on, we got to get this, because if we get this, come, there's going to be some new bowls, okay? He predestined us for adoption. And you guys know that that word adoption is not, you were outside the family and you came in and you get my last name, but you're still kind of, you're different than me. No, no, it's son placement. Jesus literally re-DNA'd us. He gave us his blood. I mean, I loved Williams, Good Friday, drinking the blood. Remember that the blood is the life of something? Well, we've been adopted. What does that mean? We take on his life. We drink his blood, which means his blood is now my blood. DNA is in the blood. So my DNA is that of Jesus. Wow. So he gave me a new DNA. He didn't just bring me into the family. No, he made me as him, as a son by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Oh my gosh, it was his good pleasure. It was his good pleasure. Like, 
He wanted to do it. He did not do it begrudgingly. He did not do it, I guess, feel bad for them. No, it was his good pleasure. It gave him delight to execute his will. That's why Jesus, it it gave Jesus joy to do the will of the Father. He's like, I live to do my Father's will. It's why I'm here. I'm here to glorify the Father. I'm here to bring glory. I'm here to represent his will. I'm here to express his will. And it gave him joy, joy to adopt us. To the praise of the glory of his grace. So watch, it was his will. It was his good pleasure. Why? What's the result? That praise and glory, that praise should arise out of us, Mm. which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Okay, we just talked about it, right? Through his blood. Through his blood. My DNA being his. It's through his blood. (laughs) I'm repeating because I lost my place. (laughs) Yeah, this is being vulnerable. You just are like going and then you're like, oh yeah, where was I? So we have redemption in him through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Guys, he did not just do the bare minimum. He forgave us according to the richness of his grace. If you can understand how rich God is, you would understand that that's a big deal. So he didn't just forgive us the bare minimum. Dude, he washed us with the riches of his grace, which which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made to known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together one in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. In him, in him also we have obtained an inheritance." being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Guys, I think the new bowl is really a new mind. A new bowl is the new mind. And it's the, it's the new mind to receive the adoption as sons. It's to receive the adoption as sons. It's to accept that he loves you. That's really what it is. It's to believe that he loves you. It's to recognize your need. It's it's to recognize that life can look pleasant, but on the inside, I'm in need of adoption. I'm in need of the father. Guys, the reason I think a lot of our struggles is because we need the love of a father. That's why our generation is hurting because we need the acceptance of a father. And you were made to be loved by a father because you were predestined. You were predestined. Before the foundation of the world, you were chosen. You were made for the love of the father. And I think so many things in our world would be fixed if we just received the love of the heavenly father who is much, 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 much better. It's not even close. And as much as I love, and I I have amazing parents, and I love and I honor them. And it wasn't anything they did, but I needed the love of the Father to set me free. It wasn't because of them, it was because of me, because deep down in all of our hearts, there is a barrenness that can only be fulfilled by God's acceptance and adoption. It has to be. It has to be. And the striving will stop when we receive this. The striving stops when we just accept it. And Paul is telling a culture that is built on works and performance from the day you are born, you are accepted in the beloved. He's he's emphasizing to a culture that has learned something completely different that you were predestined before the world 
to be adopted to him in love. And guys, the acceptance of Jesus is so much greater. So guys, I think at the end of all this, this is, this is that new bowl. It's a people who receive the love of Jesus, recognize who they are, accept their adoption as sons, and they live for him. And guys, the, the, hmm. this is where God is, is, I think, taking even this house is a people that have accepted this love, that believe it about themselves of, no, I am a son. I am a daughter. Like, I've been given access. I have free access. Like, I am that bowl of incense. I, I am, and watch this, and I'm worthy of it. I think that's something we got to receive. I'm worthy of it. I'm worthy to receive that, right, that, that privilege to carry the living God, that I have a right because of Jesus through his life. I, I am able to carry the living God, and I am a bowl with really good water. I am a vessel with incense and I am ready to pour that God would pour fire back into me. And then guess what? Then he's going to send me to the earth. Some of you feel go. Some of you feel call. Some of you feel sending. Until you're willing to be poured out, God will not send you because he has to first pour in in order to pour out. There's an exchange. And so guys, listen. If you know you're accepted in the beloved and I say, hey, we need to raise the devotion, the passion, the prayer, the worship. An orphan goes, that sounds like works, man. Like you're just bumming me out. Like I'm just going to rest. But a son goes, yes. A son goes, actually, there's nothing I want more than to spend more time with my father. Because if you've tasted and seen that he's good, if you've gotten a glimpse of God's goodness, I promise you, you, would want, want, you, bleh, you wouldn't want anything else, period. It's, it's, not a, it's not even close. It's, it's like, Jesus is like, okay, you can have bread or you can have me. You can have something that's going to fade and you're going to get hungry again, or you can have me and never hunger again. And not only that, I'll make you a bread factory. You'll just give it away. (laughs) Not only will you be filled, but you're a bakery, buddy, and I'll just start handing loaves out, out of you. The principle of Jesus multiplying bread is Jesus is showing a prophetic picture of the bread multiplying. And disciples, speaking of fish, speaking of disciples, multiplying. Remember he said, I'll make you a fisher of men. Fish representing disciples of Jesus. And he multiplies the bread and the fish. And he's saying, the multiplication is in me. And God desires to multiply himself on the earth. But it requires sons and daughters to receive it to accept it and watch, to begin to live it out. So if you have to say no to Netflix and yes to Jesus, it's what you do. If you have to take your PlayStation or your Xbox and throw it out your second story window, it's what you have to do. Or sell it, you know, you don't have to go that extreme. You sell it, you know, you can sell it. That's a good option. Or give it away. That's nice too. But if, 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 I want the presence of Jesus, then take my Xbox because the Xbox is not more valuable than living water. I need that water. I need the water. And like the sons of Jericho recognizing the town is good, but our water's bad. And as a church, we got to recognize the building is nice, but on the inside, it's dead. And having the humility to say, Jesus, I'm willing to unload everything if you will fill me. Can I, can I get Ashley, maybe? Ashley? Ashley? Oh, okay, Ashley is such a good sport. Yeah, if you want to come up. And so... 
going to kind of land it here, but um, I want to I pray over you guys. But uh, my wife, Cynthia, had just a pretty amazing dream. Um, and she had it really this weekend. And I felt like it was for today. And then I just want to pray over you guys. Um, do you want to share it? Do you want to? You want, want to hand the baby off? Or I can bring this to you. Okay. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I had a dream. Um, it was kind of interesting, so just follow me. <laughs> but <clears throat> I left my house um, because I felt, like, really full of shame uh, in the dream. Um, and I felt really full of guilt, but I knew in my heart that it was like a false guilt. Like it wasn't like I knew I didn't do anything wrong, but I felt so full of this shame. So I, I just left, I left my house. I left my husband and I, I remember being like, you don't want me. I, I, I don't know. And I didn't have any reason or anything, but I, I just left and, uh, I took myself to a homeless shelter and I went up to this room and the room was dark and it was empty. And I, I looked on the bed and there was an empty duffel bag and the bag was open, unzipped, and it was just sitting there. And I was just kind of confused. And so I went, instead of going out the front door, I went out like a back door. And that door, it led to, uh, it led to like a stadium and the stadium had like hundreds of thousands of people in it. And it was like a circle stadium and it went all the way up. And I was like, what the heck is happening? And I ran up the stairs all the way to the very top of the stadium. And I saw another door and I was like, okay, this is the exit. I'm going to get out of here. And I went into that room and there was a, just another sea of people and I look over and there's like an empty duffel bag. And I was like, that is weird. <laughs> Why is that duffel bag following me? And it was empty, just open. And then I uh, I kind of was like, what did I do now? Oh, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. I um, left that room. I didn't leave a door. I just kind of the dream transitioned. And I went, uh, there was like a car, like a big white Suburban and I wasn't in the car, but like I was with the car and we went to like an auto shop for the car to get fixed. And I was sitting on the curb and the duffel bag was empty and it was in the car. And I was just sitting there waiting and the duffel bag was literally following me. I thought it was really interesting. And I felt like the Lord was saying that, uh, cause I was asking him like, why is the duffel bag empty? Why is it following me? And I felt like he was saying there's like a body of people who have attached themselves to like a false guilt and a false shame. And the Lord is saying like, like I'm here and it's, it's your kind of like what he was saying, like it's your job to, you pack your bag and, and you make a choice to come and meet me. And uh, he was saying that the car was actually, it meant like ministry and it wasn't my ministry because I wasn't driving the car. It's just ministry in general and the, the body of people who've attached themselves to this false guilt. And he's saying, like, no more. I'm going to, you. here's the bag. Like, it's your choice. You fill the bag with your prayer. You fill the bag with your worship. And, and I'll meet you there. So, Yeah. So can we stand? Because I, I want to pray into that. I want to pray into that feel like it's an invitation. God's calling some of you home. And one thing about the duffel bag that me and Cynthia were talking about was like this reality of, I think it's an invitation to come home. And like she's saying, you have to pack your bag. God won't pack it for you. You have to bring a new bowl. You have to do a new thing. You have to be willing to say, I'm going to go home. And I think for some of us, we strayed so far. And in the dream, there's a stadium. A stadium, stadiums won't save you. Come on. And then there's a car, there's ministry. Ministry won't save you. Because all these vehicles, all these things, 
You can do a lot in the name of Jesus, but there's a bag waiting for you. And there's a husband waiting for you at home who hasn't changed his mind. And some of you have been carrying, like Cynthia said, a false guilt and a shame. And it's what we're talking about. It's this orphan thing that God just wants to crush. Guys, I think the issues of our heart begin because we don't realize we have a father. Or we know we have a father and because of a mistake, we've walked away from him. Or because of how someone treated us, we've turned our back on him and we've let man decide who God is. Thank you again for joining us for this podcast. We pray that above all, your life was touched by his presence. If you're interested in learning more about the church or getting plugged in, you can visit us at www.risennation.org or follow us on social media to stay up to date with all that God is doing here. We love you guys. God bless.